Welcome to this week in nephrology, your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This week in nephrology has you covered. Our AI-powered podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the nephrology field. Hi, this week in nephrology, we will be discussing article published in September issues of the nephrology journals. First we will be going over articles in the Journal of the American Society of Nephrology. Dysfunctional coupling of cerebral blood flow and susceptibility value in the bilateral hippocampus is associated with cognitive decline in non-dialysis patients with CKD. Significant Statement Patients with end-stage CKD often develop cognitive decline, but whether this is related to the underlying disease or to hemodialysis remains unclear. We perform three-dimensional pseudocontinuous arterial spin labeling and quantitative susceptibility mapping prospectively in 40 patients with stage 1 to 4 CKD, 47 non-dialysis patients with stage 5 CKD, and 44 healthy controls. Our magnetic resonance imaging data demonstrate that changes in cerebral blood flow susceptibility coupling might underlie this cognitive decline, perhaps in the hippocampus and thalamus. These results suggest that magnetic resonance imaging parameters are potential biomarkers of cognitive decline in patients with CKD. Moreover, our findings may lead to discovery of novel therapeutic targets to prevent cognitive decline in patients with CKD. Background Cerebral blood flow, CBF, and susceptibility values reflect vascular and iron metabolism, providing mechanistic insights into conditions of health and disease. Non-dialysis patients with CKD show a cognitive decline, but the pathophysiological mechanisms underlying this remain unclear. Methods Three-dimensional pseudocontinuous arterial spin labeling and quantitative susceptibility mapping were prospectively performed in 40 patients with stage 1-4 CKD, CKD 1-4, 47 non-dialysis patients with stage 5 CKD, CKD 5ND, and 44 healthy controls, HCs. Voxel-based global and regional analyses of CBF, susceptibility values and vascular susceptibility coupling were performed. Furthermore, the association between clinical performance and cerebral perfusion and iron deposition was analyzed. Results For CBF, patients with CKD5ND had higher normalized CBF in the hippocampus and thalamus than HCs. Patients with CKD5ND had higher normalized CBF in the hippocampus and thalamus than those with CKD1-4. The susceptibility values in the hippocampus and thalamus were lower in patients with CKD5ND than in HCs. Patients with CKD5ND had higher susceptibility value in the caudate nucleus than those with CKD1-4. More importantly, patients with CKD5ND had lower CBF susceptibility coupling than HCs. In addition, CBF and susceptibility values were significantly associated with clinical performance. Conclusions Our findings demonstrate a new neuropathological mechanism in patients with CKD, which leads to regional changes in CBF susceptibility coupling. These changes are related to cognitive decline, providing potential imaging markers for assessing clinical disability and cognitive decline in these patients. Second article Efficacy and safety of eculizumab in pediatric patients affected by Shigot toxin-related hemolytic and uremic syndrome, a randomized, placebo-controlled trial. Significant Statement Shigot toxin-related hemolytic uremic syndrome, STEC-HUS, is a serious condition, 
characterized by multi-organ thrombotic microangiopathy, mainly affecting children. Renal involvement is severe, with approximately half of patients requiring dialysis. So far, no specific treatment has been proven efficient in Steckhus. The use of eculizumab, a monoclonal antibody-inhibiting terminal complement complex, has demonstrated remarkable success in atypical hemolytic uremic syndrome, but its use in uncontrolled studies to treat Steckhus has yielded inconsistent results. In this phase 3 randomized, placebo-controlled trial in 100 pediatric patients with Steckhus, the findings did not show efficacy of eculizumab during the acute phase of the disease. However, the results indicated a reduction of renal sequelae in eculizumab-treated patients at one-year follow-up. Larger prospective studies would be needed to further explore eculizumab as a potential treatment. Background Shigatoxin-related hemolytic uremic syndrome, STEC-HUS, in children is a severe condition, resulting in approximately 50% of patients requiring RRT. Furthermore, at least 30% of survivors experience kidney sequelae. Recently, activation of the complement alternative pathway has been postulated as a factor in STEC-HUS pathophysiology, leading to compassionate use of eculizumab, a monoclonal antibody inhibiting the terminal complement complex, in affected patients. Given the lack of therapy for STEC-HUS, a controlled study of eculizumab efficacy in treating this condition is a priority. Methods We conducted a phase 3 randomized trial of eculizumab in children with STEC-HUS. Patients were randomly assigned in a 1 to 1 ratio to receive either eculizumab or placebo during 4 weeks. Follow-up lasted for 1 year. The primary endpoint was RRT duration less than 48 hours after randomization. Secondary endpoints included hematologic and extrarenal involvement. Results Baseline characteristics were similar among the 100 patients who underwent randomization. The rate of RRT less than 48 hours did not differ significantly between the two groups, 48% in the placebo versus 38% in the eculizumab group, P equals 0.31, or in the course of ARF. The two groups also exhibited similar hematologic evolution and extrarenal manifestations of STEC-HUS. The proportion of patients experiencing renal sequelae at one year was lower in the eculizumab group than in the placebo group, 43.48% and 64.44%, respectively, P equals 0.04. No safety concern was reported. Conclusions In pediatric patients with STEC-HUS, Eculizumab treatment does not appear to be associated with improved renal outcome during acute phase of the disease but may reduce long-term kidney sequelae. Next we will be going over articles in the Clinical Journal of the American Society of Nephrology. Long-term, real-world kidney outcomes with SGLT2I versus DPP4I and type 2 diabetes without cardiovascular or kidney disease. Background Contemporary guidelines recommend the use of sodium glucose cotransporter 2 inhibitors, SGLT2 is, independently of glycemic control in patients with type 2 diabetes and those with kidney disease, with heart failure, or at high risk of cardiovascular disease. Using a large Israeli database, we assess whether long-term use of SGLT2 is versus dipeptidyl peptidase 4 inhibitors, DPP4 is, is associated with kidney benefits in patients with type 2 diabetes overall and in those without evidence of cardiovascular or kidney disease. Methods Patients with type 2 diabetes who initiated SGLT2 is or DPP4 is between 2015 and 2021 were propensity score matched, 
1 to 1, according to 90 parameters. The kidney-specific composite outcome included confirmed greater than or equal to 40% decline in eat for or kidney failure. The kidney or death outcome included also all-cause mortality. Risks of outcomes were assessed using Cox proportional hazard regression models. The between-group difference in eat for slope was also assessed. Analyzes were repeated in patients subgroup lacking evidence of cardiovascular or kidney disease. Results Overall, 19,648 propensity score matched patients were included, 10,467, 53%, did not have evidence of cardiovascular or kidney disease. Median follow-up was 38 months, interquartile range, 22 to 55. The composite kidney-specific outcome occurred at an event rate of 6.9 versus 9.5 events per 1,000 patient years with SGLT2I versus DPP4I. The respective event rates of the kidney or death outcome were 17.7 versus 22.1. Compared with DPP4 is, initiation of SGLT2 is was associated with a lower risk for the kidney-specific, hazard ratio, HR, 0.72, 95% confidence interval, C, 0.61-0.86, P less than 0.001, and kidney or death, HR, 0.80, 95% C, 0.71-0.89, P less than 0.001, outcomes. The respective HRs, 95% C, in those lacking evidence of cardiovascular or kidney disease were 0.67,0.44-1.02 and 0.77,0.61-0.97. Initiation of SGLT2 is versus DPP4 is was associated with mitigation of the eat for slope overall and in those lacking evidence of cardiovascular or kidney disease, mean between group differences 0.49,95% C, 0.35 to 0.62 and 0.48, 95% C, 0.32 to 0.64, ml per minute per 1.73 meters 2 per year respectively. Conclusions Long-term use of SGLT2 is versus DPP4 is in a real-world setting was associated with mitigation of eat for loss in patients with type 2 diabetes, even in those lacking evidence of cardiovascular or kidney disease at baseline. Second article. Immunosuppression versus supportive care on kidney outcomes in eganephropathy in the real-world setting. Background. The efficacy of immunosuppression in the management of immunoglobulin A, EGA, nephropathy remains highly controversial. The study was conducted to assess the effect of immunosuppression, compared with supportive care, in the real-world setting of eganephropathy. Methods. A cohort of 3,946 patients with eganephropathy, including 1973 new users of immunosuppressive agents and 1973 propensity score matched recipients of supportive care, in a nationwide register data from January 2019 to May 2022 in China was analyzed. The primary outcome was a composite of 40% eat for decrease of the baseline, kidney failure, and all-cause mortality. A Cox proportional hazard model was used to estimate the effects of immunosuppression on the composite outcomes and its components in the propensity score match cohort. Results Among 3,946 individuals, mean SD, age 36, 10 years, mean SD, E for 85, 28, ml per minute per 1.73 meters 2, and mean SD, proteinuria 1.4, 1.7, g 24 hours, 
396 primary composite outcome events were observed, of which 156, 8%, were in the immunosuppression group and 240, 12%, in the supportive care group. Compared with supportive care, immunosuppression treatment was associated with 40% lower risk of the primary outcome events, adjusted hazard ratio, 0.60, 95% confidence interval, 0.48 to 0.75. Comparable effect size was observed for glucocorticoid monotherapy and mycophenolate mephetal alone. In the pre-specified subgroup analysis, the treatment effects of immunosuppression were consistent across ages, sexes, levels of proteinuria, and values of E for at baseline. Serious adverse events were more frequent in the immunosuppression group compared with the supportive care group. Conclusions Immunosuppressive therapy, compared with supportive care, was associated with a 40% lower risk of clinically important kidney outcomes in patients with eganephropathy. Next we will be going over articles in the nephrology dialysis transplantation. Malignancy risk in kidney transplant recipients exposed to immunosuppression pre-transplant for the treatment of glomerulonephritis. Background Kidney transplant patients with glomerulonephritis, GN, as their native disease may receive significant amounts of pre-transplant immunosuppression, PTI, which could increase the risk for development of malignancy post-transplant. Methods We conducted a single-center, Retrospective study of kidney transplant recipients from January 2005 until May 2020. Patients with GN is their native kidney disease who received PTI for treatment of GN, N equals 184, were compared with a control cohort, N equals 579, of non-diabetic, non-PTI receiving kidney transplant patients. We calculated hazard ratios, HR, with 95% confidence intervals, 95% C, for outcomes of first occurrence of solid or hematologic malignancy, non-melanoma skin cancer, NMSE and post-transplant lymphoproliferative disorder, PTLD results. Over a median follow-up of 5.7 years, PTI for GN was associated with significantly increased risk for malignancy compared with controls, 13.0% versus 9.7%, respectively, adjusted HR 1.82. 95% C1.10 to 3.00, but not for NMSC, 10.3% versus 11.4%, respectively, adjusted HR 1.09, 95% C0.64 to 1.83, or PTLD, 3.3% versus 3.1%, respectively, adjusted HR 1.02, 95% C0.40 to 2.61. The risk for malignancy was significantly increased in those who received cyclophosphamide, HR 2.59, 95% C1.48 to 4.55, or rituximab, HR 3.82, 95% C1.69 to 8.65, pre-transplant, and particularly in those who received both cyclophosphamide and rituximab, but not for calcineurin inhibitors or mycophenolate. Conclusion the use of PTI for treatment of GN, especially cyclophosphamide or even with rituximab, is associated with increased risk for development of solid or hematologic malignancy post-transplant. These data highlight potential risks with treatment of GN and underscore the importance of post-transplant malignancy surveillance in this patient population. Second article Acute Kidney Injury in Bortezomib Treated Patients with Multiple Myeloma Background 
The nephrotoxicity of bortezomib, a proteasome inhibitor, has not yet been elucidated, although tumor lysis syndrome, TLS, associated with multiple myeloma, MM, has been reported to increase after introduction of the drug. This study compared the incidence and risk factors for acute kidney injury, AKI, and TLS in patients with MM ephrotezomib based chemotherapy to investigate drug-related nephrotoxicity. Methods From 2006 to 2017, 276 patients who underwent a first cycle of bortezomib-based chemotherapy for MM were identified in a single tertiary hospital. Laboratory TLS was defined according to the Cairo Bishop definition. Development of Aki was assessed by Aki network criteria within seven days of the first chemotherapy. Results The median, interquartile range, age was 65, 56 to 72, years, and baseline estimated glomerular filtration rate, ECFR, was 61.3, 34.1 to 89.1 milliliter per minute slash 1.73 square meters. The incidences of Aki and laboratory TLS were 17%, and equals 47, and 13%, and equals 36, respectively. 10, 3.6%, subjects met both Aki and TLS criteria. Multivariate analyzes showed that lower EFR category, 30 to 59, odds ratio or 3.005, 95% confidence interval 1.163 to 7.976, 15 to 29 or 4.225, 1.183 to 15.000, less than 15 or 16.154, 3.831 to 70.920, versus greater than or equal to 60. P less than 0.001, lower serum albumin level, for one increase, or 0.479, 0 0.256-0.871, P equals 0.018, renal amyloidosis, or 13.039, 4.108-44.041, P less than 0.001, and use of acyclovir during bortezomib treatment, or 3.689, 1.133-14.469, P equals 0.042, were predictors of Aki. MM stages and beta-2 microglobulin were not associated with increased risk of Aki. Regarding laboratory TLS, MM stage and beta-2 microglobulin were higher in those with TLS than in others. In multivariate analyses, beta-2 microglobulin level, or 1.204, 1.005 to 1.461, P equals 0.038, an absence of high-risk chromosome abnormalities, or 0.143-0.022-0.588, P equals 0.016, were associated with higher risk of TLS. Conclusions Development of Aki was often observed in the absence of TLS in patients with MM after treatment with bortezomib. In addition, the risk factors for Aki and TLS varied widely. These findings indicate the potential nephrotoxicity of bortezomib irrespective of TLS in patients with decreased kidney function. Next we will be going over articles in the Kidney International. A nationwide cohort study comparing the effectiveness of diuretics and calcium channel blockers on top of renin-angiotensin system inhibitors on chronic kidney disease progression and mortality. It is unknown whether initiating diuretics on top of renin-angiotensin system inhibitors, Rossi, is superior to alternative antihypertensive agents such as calcium channel blockers, CCBs, in patients with chronic kidney disease, CKD. For this purpose, 
We emulated a target trial in the Swedish Renal Registry 2007-2022 that included nephrologist-referred patients with moderate advanced CKD and treated with Rossi, who initiated diuretics or CCB. Using propensity score-weighted cause-specific Cox regression, we compared risks of major adverse kidney events, MAKE, composite of kidney replacement therapy, KRT, experiencing over a 40% EFR decline from baseline, or an EFR under 15 milliliters per minute per 1.73 square meters, major cardiovascular events, MACE, composite of cardiovascular death, myocardial infarction or stroke, and all-cause mortality. We identified 5,875 patients, median age 71 years, 64% men, median E for 26 milliliters per minute per 1.73 square meters, of whom 3,165 started a diuretic in 2,710 a CCB. After a median follow-up of 6.3 years, 2,558 make, 1,178 mace and 2,299 deaths occurred. Compared to CCB, Diuretic use was associated with a lower risk of make, weighted hazard ratio 0.87, 95% confidence interval, 0.77 to 0.97, consistent across single components, KRT, 0.77, 0.66 to 0.88, over 40% eat for decline, 0.80, 0.71 to 0.91, and eat for under 15 milliliters per minute slash 1.73 square meters, 0.84, 0.74 to 0.96. The risks of MACE, 1.14, 0.96 to 1.36, and all-cause mortality, 1.07, 0.94 to 1.23, did not differ between therapies. Results were consistent when modeling the total time drug exposure, across subgroups and a broad range of sensitivity analyzes. Thus, our observational study suggests that in patients with advanced CKD, using a diuretic rather than a CCB on top of Rossi may improve kidney outcomes without compromising cardioprotection. Next we will be going over articles in the American Journal of Kidney Diseases. Integrated analysis of blood and urine biomarkers to identify acute kidney injury subphenotypes and associations with long-term outcomes. Rationale and objective. Acute kidney injury, AKI, is a heterogeneous clinical syndrome with varying causes, pathophysiology, and outcomes. We incorporated plasma and urine biomarker measurements to identify Aki subgroups, subphenotypes, more tightly linked to underlying pathophysiology and long-term clinical outcomes. Study Design Multicenter Cohort Study Setting and Participants 769 hospitalized adults with Aki matched with 769 without Aki enrolled from December 2009 to February 2015 in the Assess Aki Study. Predictors 29 clinical, plasma, and urinary biomarker parameters used to identify Aki subphenotypes. Outcome Composite of major adverse kidney events MAKE, with a median follow-up period of 4.7 years. Results Among 769 Aki patients both LCA and K-means identified two distinct Aki subphenotypes, classes 1 and 2. The long-term risk for MAKE was higher with class 2, adjusted HR, 1.41, 95% C, 1.08 to 1.84, P equals 0.01, compared with class 1, adjusting for demographics, hospital-level factors, and Catego stage of Aki. 
The higher risk of Nakamung class 2 was explained by a higher risk of long-term chronic kidney disease progression and dialysis. The top variables that were different between classes 1 and 2 included plasma and urinary biomarkers of inflammation and epithelial cell injury, serum creatinine ranked 20th out of the 29 variables for differentiating classes. Limitations A replication cohort with simultaneously collected blood and urine sampling in hospitalized adults with Aki and long-term outcomes was unavailable. Conclusions We identify two molecularly distinct Aki subphenotypes with differing risk of long-term outcomes, independent of the current criteria to risk stratify Aki. Future identification of Aki subphenotypes may facilitate linking therapies to underlying pathophysiology to prevent long-term sequelae after Aki. Second article, Evaluation of Plasma Biomarkers to Predict Major Adverse Kidney Events in Hospitalized Patients with COVID-19. Rationale and Objective Patients hospitalized with COVID-19 are at increased risk for major adverse kidney events, MAKE. We sought to identify plasma biomarkers predictive of making patients hospitalized with COVID-19. Study Design Prospective Cohort Study Setting and Participants A total of 576 patients hospitalized with COVID-19 between March 2020 and January 2021 across three academic medical centers. Exposure 26 plasma biomarkers of injury, inflammation, and repair from first available blood samples collected during hospitalization. Outcome Make, defined as Katego stage 3 acute kidney injury, AKI, dialysis requiring Aki, or mortality up to 60 days. Results The median length of stay for COVID-19 hospitalization was 9, IQR, 5 to 16, days. In total, 95 patients, 16%, experienced make. Each one SD increase in soluble tumor necrosis factor receptor 1, SDNFR1, and SDNFR2 was significantly associated with an increased risk of make, adjusted HR, AHR, 2.30, 95% C, 1.86 to 2.85, and AHR, 2.26, 95% C, 1.73 to 2.95, respectively. The C index of STNFR1 alone was 0.80, 95% C, 0.78 to 0.84, and the C index of STNFR2 was 0.81, 95% C, 0.77 to 0.84. Lasso and random forest regression modeling using all biomarkers yielded C indexes of 0.86, 95% C, 0.83 to 0.89, and 0.84. 95% C, 0.78 to 0.91, respectively. Limitations No control group of hospitalized patients without COVID-19. Conclusions We found that STNFR1 and STNFR2 are independently associated with making patients hospitalized with COVID-19 and can both also serve as predictors for adverse kidney outcomes. Next we will be going over articles in the Clinical Kidney Journal. Kidney Injury Molecule 1, KIM-1, a potential biomarker of acute kidney injury and tubular interstitial injury in patients with onchoglomerulonephritis. Background Kidney Injury Molecule 1, KIM-1, is a transmembrane glycoprotein expressed by proximal tubular cells, recognized as an early, sensitive and specific urinary biomarker for kidney injury. 
Blood Chem 1 was recently associated with the severity of acute and chronic kidney damage but its value in antineutrophil cytoplasmic antibodies, ANCA-associated vasculitis with glomerulonephritis, OncoGN, has not been studied. Thus, we analyzed its expression at OncoGN diagnosis and its relationship with clinical presentation, kidney histopathology and early outcomes. Methods We assess CAM1 levels and other pro-inflammatory molecules, C-reactive protein, interleukin-6, tumor necrosis factor alpha, monocyte chemoattractant protein 1 and pentraxin-3, at OncoGN diagnosis and after 6 months in patients included in the main ANJU registry, which gathers data patients from four French nephrology centers diagnosed since January 2000. Results Blood Kim 1 levels were assessed in 54 patients. Levels were elevated at diagnosis and decreased after induction remission therapy. Kim 1 was associated with the severity of renal injury at diagnosis and the need for kidney replacement therapy. In opposition to other pro inflammatory molecules, Kim 1 correlated with the amount of acute tubular necrosis and interstitial fibrosis/slash tubular atrophy, if slash TA, on kidney biopsy, but not with interstitial infiltrate or with glomerular involvement. In multivariable analysis, elevated Kim 1 predicted initial estimated glomerular filtration rate, beta equals minus 19, 95% C minus 31, minus 7.6, P equals 0.002. Conclusion Kim 1 appears as a potential biomarker for acute kidney injury and for tubulointerstitial injury in OncoGN. Whether Kim 1 is only a surrogate marker or is a key immune player in OncoGN pathogenesis remain to be determined. Second article Clinical and Immunological Characteristics of Patients with Combined Anti-Glomerular Basement Membrane Disease and Eganephropathy Background the combination of anti-glomerular basement membrane DBM, disease and immunoglobulin A nephropathy again, has been well documented in sporadic cases, but lacks overall assessment in large collections. Herein, we investigated the clinical and immunological characteristics and outcome of this entity. Methods 75 consecutive patients with biopsy-proven anti-GBM disease from March 2012 to March 2020 were screened. Among them, Patients with concurrent IGN were identified and enrolled. The control group included biopsied classical anti-GBM patients during the same period, excluding patients with IGN, other glomerular diseases or tumors, or patients with unavailable blood samples and missing data. Serum IGN EGA autoantibodies against GBM were detected by enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay, as were circulating IG subclasses against GBM. Results 15 patients with combined anti-GBM disease and IGN were identified, accounting for 20%, 1575, of all patients. Among them, 9 were male and 6 were female, with an average, plus or minus standard deviation, age of 46.7 plus or minus 17.3 years. 30 patients with classical anti-GBM disease were enrolled as controls, with 10 males and 20 females at an average age of 45.4 plus or minus 15.3 years. Patients with combined anti-GBM disease and Egan had restricted kidney involvement without pulmonary hemorrhage. Compared with classical patients, anti-GBM patients with Egan presented with significantly lower levels of serum creatinine on diagnosis, 6.2 plus or minus 2.9 versus 9.5 plus or minus 5.4 mg slash DL, P equals 0.03, and less occurrence of oliguria slash anuria, 20%, 
3.15 versus 57%, 17.30, P equals 0.02, but more urine protein excretion, 2.37, 1.48, 5.63, versus 1.11, 0.63, 3.90, G slash 24 hours, P equals 0.01. They showed better kidney outcome during follow-up, ESKD, 47%, 7.15 versus 80%, 24.30, P equals 0.03. The autoantigen epitope spectrum were comparable between the two groups, but the prevalence of circulating anti-alpha 34NC1E1, 67% versus 97%, P equals 0.01, and IC3, 67% versus 97%, P equals 0.01, were lower in patients with AGEN. Conclusions Concurrent AGEN was not rare in anti-GBM disease. Patients showed milder kidney lesions and better recovery after immunosuppressive therapies. This might be partly explained by lower prevalence of anti-GBM IG-1 and IG-3 in these patients. Next we will be going over articles in the Hypertension ACC Association between maternal glucose levels and gestational diabetes screening and subsequent hypertension. Background We assess the association between maternal glucose levels in pregnancy and subsequent hypertension. Methods. This population level, retrospective cohort study examined women aged 12 to 54 years with singleton pregnancies completed at greater than or equal to 29 weeks of gestation from October 1, 2008 to December 1, 2018 followed until March 31, 2019 in Alberta, Canada. Women were stratified by results in the 50-gram glucose challenge test and by 75-gram oral glucose tolerance test subtypes, normal oral glucose tolerance test, elevated fasting plasma glucose only, elevated fasting, elevated postload glucose only, or both elevated fasting and postload glucose, combined. Time to development of hypertension was modeled using Cox proportional hazards models. Results. Of 313-361 women, 231008, 79.1%, Underwent a glucose challenge test only while 6909, 20.9%, underwent either an oral glucose tolerance test only or both. 9580, 3.1%, developed hypertension, and 2824, 0.9%, developed cardiovascular disease over a median follow-up of 5.7 years. Every 1 millimole-slash-L increase in glucose in the glucose challenge test increased the risk of subsequent hypertension by 15%, adjusted hazard ratio and 95% C, 1.15, 1.14 to 1.16. Among those who underwent the oral glucose tolerance test, the combined group conferred the highest risk of subsequent hypertension, followed by elevated fasting, then elevated post-load glucose only, reference, Glucose challenge test less than or equal to 7.1 millimoles/l, adjusted hazard ratio 95% C, elevated postload glucose only 1.83, 1.68 to 2.00, elevated fasting 2.02, 1.70 to 2.40, combined 2.65, 2.33 to 3.01. No significant associations between maternal glucose levels and cardiovascular disease were observed. Conclusions Increasing maternal glucose levels in pregnancy were associated with increasing risk of subsequent hypertension. These findings may help identify higher-risk women who should be targeted for earlier postpartum cardiovascular risk reduction.
Next we will be going over articles in the American Journal of Hypertension. SNAP participation and medication adherence among older black Medicaid-insured individuals living with hypertension. Background Black people are more likely to be diagnosed with hypertension and to experience food insecurity and antihypertensive medication non-adherence compared to white people in the U.S. The Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP, a means-tested program that targets food insecurity has been shown to affect health outcomes. This study analyzed the relationship between SNAP participation and antihypertensive medication adherence among older black Medicaid-insured individuals. Methods This is a retrospective cohort study using linked 2006-2014 State of Missouri Medicaid and SNAP administrative claims data. Analyzes were restricted to older, greater than or equal to 60 years, black individuals who were continuously enrolled in Medicaid for 12 months following their first observed claim for hypertension at or after age 60 years with at least one pharmacy claim, N equals 10,693. Our outcome measure is a dichotomous measure of antihypertensive medication adherence defined using the proportion of days covered, greater than or equal to 80% PDC equals 1. The exposure variables are four measures of SNAP participation. Results A higher proportion of SNAP participants were adherent to their antihypertensive medications compared to non-SNAP participants, 43.5% versus 32.0%. On multivariable analyzes, Compared to non-SNAP participants there was an increased likelihood of antihypertensive medication adherence among SNAP participants, prevalence ratio, PR, equals 1.25, 95% confidence interval, C, equals 1.16 to 1.35. Compared to those who participated in SNAP for 1 to 3 months during the 12-month continuous enrollment, there was an increased likelihood of antihypertensive medication adherence among those who were enrolled for 10 to 12 months. PR equals 1.41, 95% C equals 1.08 to 1.85. Conclusions Medicaid insured older black adults who were SNAP participants had a higher likelihood of antihypertensive medication adherence compared to non-SNAP participants. Next we will be going over articles in the transplantation. Cost-effectiveness of kidney transplantation from donors at increased risk of bloodborne virus infection transmission. Background. Demand for donor kidneys outstrips supply. Using kidneys from selected donors with an increased risk of bloodborne virus, BBV, transmission, hepatitis B virus and hepatitis C virus, HCV, human immunodeficiency virus, may expand the donor pool, but cost-effectiveness of this strategy is uncertain. Methods. A Markov model was developed using real-world evidence to compare healthcare costs and quality-adjusted life years, collies, of accepting kidneys from deceased donors with potential increased risk of BBV transmission, because of increased risk behaviors and or history of HCV, versus declining these kidneys. Model simulations were run over a 20-year time horizon. Parameter uncertainty was assessed through deterministic and probabilistic sensitivity analyzes. Results. Accepting kidneys from donors at increased risk of BBVs, 2% from donors with increased risk behaviors and 5% from donors with active or past HCV infection, incurred total costs of 311-303 Australian dollars with a gain of 8.53 collies. Foregoing kidneys from these donors incurred total costs of $330,517 and a gain of 8.44 collies. 
a cost saving of $19,214, an additional 0.09 Kali's, tilde 33D in full health, per person would be generated compared with declining these donors. Increasing the availability of kidneys with increased risk by 15% led to further cost savings of $57,425, an additional 0.23 Kali gains, tilde 84D in full health. Probabilistic sensitivity analysis using 10 iterations showed accepting kidneys from donors at increased risk led to lower costs and higher Kali gains. Conclusions Shifting clinical practice to accept increased BBD risk donors would likely produce lower costs and higher Kali's for health systems. Second article, Outcomes with Belitacept Exposure During Pregnancy in Kidney Transplant Recipients, a Case Series. Background Post-transplant fertility returns quickly, and female recipients of childbearing age may conceive while on immunosuppression. However, pregnancy after transplantation confers risks to the recipient, transplant, and fetus, including gestational hypertension, preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, transplant dysfunction, preterm labor, and low birth weight infants. Additionally, mycophenolic acid, MPA, products are teratogenic. Literature evidence regarding belitacept, a selective T-cell costimulation blocker, during pregnancy and while breastfeeding is extremely limited. When female transplant recipients on a belitacept-based regimen are desirous of pregnancy or at the time of conception, transplant providers manage the immunosuppression regimen in one of two ways. 1. Switch both belitacept and MPA to a calcineurin inhibitor-based regimen with or without azathioprine which is the more common practice but requires several modifications, having potential negative outcomes, or to only switch MPA or azathioprine while continuing belitacept. Methods This case series includes 16 pregnancies and 12 recipients with exposure to belitacept throughout pregnancy and while breastfeeding. Patient information was obtained from several sources, including Transplant Pregnancy Registry International, providers at Emory University, and Columbia University, as well as literature review. Results. Pregnancy outcomes included 13 live births and 3 miscarriages. No birth defects or fetal deaths were reported in any of the live births. 7 infants were breastfed while their mothers continued belitacept. Outcomes appear comparable to those documented with the administration of calcineurin inhibitors. Conclusions. This case series provides data supporting the continued administration of belitacept during pregnancy. Additional research will assist in developing better guidelines to counsel female transplant recipients on belitacept desiring to pursue pregnancy. Next we will be going over articles in the American Journal of Transplantation. Diagnosis and Treatment of Allograft Rejection and Islet Transplantation Islet transplantation stabilizes glycemic control in patients with complicated diabetes mellitus. Rapid functional decline could be due to islet allograft rejection. However, there is no reliable method to assess rejection, and treatment protocols are absent. We aim to characterize diagnostic features of islet allograft rejection and assess effectiveness of high-dose methylprednisolone treatment. Over a median follow-up of 61.8 months, 22%, 9 of 41 of islet transplant recipients experienced 10 suspected rejection episodes, SREs. All first SREs occurred within 18 months after transplantation. Important features were unexplained hyperglycemia, all cases, unexplained C-peptide decrease, delta C-peptide, 77.1%, 
minus 59.1% to minus 91.6%, delta C peptide glucose, minus 76.3%, minus 49.2% to minus 90.4%, predisposing event, 5 of 10 cases, and increased immunologic risk, 5 of 10 cases. At 6 months post-SRE, patients who received protocolized methylprednisolone, N equals 4, had significantly better islet function than untreated patients, N equals 4, according to C-peptide, 1.39 plus or minus 0.59 versus 0.14 plus or minus 0.19 mol slash L, P equals 0.007, equals score, good, 4 of 4 cases, versus failure, 3 of 4 cases, or marginal, 1 of 4 cases, P equals 0.018, and beta score, 6.0, 6.0 to 6.0, versus 1.0, 0.0 to 3.5, P equals 0.013. SREs are prevalent among islet transplant recipients, and are associated with loss of islet graft function. Timely treatment with high-dose methylprednisolone mitigates this loss. Unexplained hyperglycemia, unexpected C-peptide decrease, a predisposing event, and elevated immunologic risk are diagnostic indicators for SRE. Next we will be discussing Kidney International Report article. Effective Belimumab on Preventing the Novo Renal Lupus Flares Introduction Belimumab was recently approved for treating lupus nephritis, LANE, yet de novo LANE cases during belimumab treatment given for non-renal causes have been reported. Identification of reliable signals of impending flare is imperative. Methods We evaluated belimumab efficacy in preventing de novo renal flares and factors associated with renal flare occurrence in nephritis-naive patients with systemic lupus erythematosus, SLE, who are receiving add-on belimumab or placebo in five phase three clinical trials using Cox regression analysis. Results Of 1844 eligible patients, 136, 7.4% developed a de novo renal flare during a 52-week long follow-up. Asian origin, adjusted hazard ratio, hurage, 1.97, 95% confidence interval, C, 1.32 to 2.94, P equals 0.001, positive baseline anti-double-stranded DNA, antides null levels, hurage, 1.32, 95% C, 1.07 to 1.63, P equals 0.008, and increasing mean prednisone dose during follow-up, courage, 1.03, 95% C, 1.02 to 1.04, P less than 0.001, were associated with de novo renal flares. Low-dose intravenous, fluor, belimumab, 1 mg slash kg monthly, yielded a nearly three-fold lower hazard of de novo renal flare, courage, 0.38, 95% C, 0.20 to 0.73, P equals 0.004. Subcutaneous, SC, polimumab, 200 mg weekly, also yielded a lower hazard, Hurage, 0.69, 95% C, 0.54 to 0.88, P equals 0.003. The labeled 4-dose, 10 mg slash kg monthly, conferred no clear protection, Hurage, 0.74, 95% C, 0.50 to 1.09, P equals 0.127. Conclusion We corroborated the substantial vulnerability of the Asian SLE population to renal affliction. Add-on low-dose 4 belimumab, 
1 mg kg, and escepilimumab appeared protective against renal flares and nephritis naive patients with SLE. The approved 4 dose, 10 mg kg, yielded no clear protection. Second article The association between metabolic syndrome, hyperfiltration, and long term GFR decline in the general population. Introduction One quarter of adults worldwide meet the criteria of metabolic syndrome, METS. METS increases the risk of diabetes, chronic kidney disease, CKD, and cardiovascular disease. However, the association between METS, hyperfiltration, and long-term glomerular filtration rate, GFR, decline in the general population is unknown. Methods In the Renal Iohexol Clearance Survey, RANUS, we investigated 1,551 people aged 50 to 63 years, representative of the general population without diabetes, cardiovascular disease, or kidney disease. The GFR was measured using iohexol clearance at baseline and twice during 11 years of follow-up. Hyperfiltration at baseline was defined as an absolute GFR, ML per minute, above the 90th percentile adjusted for sex, age, and height, because these variables correlate with nephron number. METS was defined as increased waist circumference and two risk factors among hypertension, hyperglycemia, elevated triglycerides, and low high-density lipoprotein, HDL cholesterol levels. The GFR decline rate was calculated using linear mixed models. Results METS was associated with hyperfiltration at baseline, odds ratio or 2.4, 95% C, 1.7 to 3.5, P less than 0.001, and a steeper GFR decline rate during follow-up, minus 0.30, minus 0.43 to minus 0.16, ml per minute per 1.73 square meters slash year. Compared to those without METS, GFR decline was minus 0.83, 95% C, minus 1.13 to minus 0.53, ML per minute per 1.73 square meters slash year in those with METS and baseline hyperfiltration and minus 0.15, minus 0.30 to 0.00, in those METS without hyperfiltration, P equals 0.2 for interaction. Conclusions In the non-diabetic general population, those with METS had an increased or of hyperfiltration and steeper long-term GFR decline. Randomized controlled trials are needed to explore whether treatment of hyperfiltration can prevent loss of GFR in persons with METS. Thank you for listening to This Week in Nephrology, your filtered medical journal summary. Have a great week ahead, stay blessed and be humane.